four, three, two, one. Holy hell's bells, it's Armist oh, Inquisition time. I can't believe this actually worked. <laughs> it sounds great. Fucking <laughs> that beefy bass kicking in. You're listening to the salubrious tunes of Jim Bamba. Because we're back in Bamba Towers again. Round two. Round two. I'm Armist Phil, Armist Ben's here. How are you Hello. doing, Jim? I'm all right, mate. It is episode 88. 88. Yeah, we had ladies. We had a bit of a layaway um, last week, didn't we? Didn't go as planned. Uh, I think it's called a technical fuck-up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <No. Ed>. Sorry. <laughs> I'll be doing this for the BBC. I'm terribly sorry. I didn't mean to say fuck. No, we turned up and the roadcaster shit itself, didn't it? So it we had to uh, abandon. Project abandoning. I was oh, well. Anyway, we've reconvened this week. It's, uh, it's June the 30th now. Yes. Happy Tung- Tunguska Day. Yikes. Is this the day with the, the, the 1908 with the meteor? Yeah, it's the anniversary of... Uh, the Earth, Jim, is currently travelling through the torrid meteor stream. We could be hit at any point with a meteor. <laughs> this could be the last night on Earth. Could be. Yeah. Well, you two can fuck off. <laughs> you two can fuck off. I'll tell you what. Get I wanna, the hookies and blow. I want to run outside and fuck something. Then. <laughs> There's a couple of Alsatians on grass. As we were, so that'll do, that'll do for me at my age. Cheers. <laughs> oh. Jesus. Well, that's a pleasant fucking happy. <laughs> we're all going to die, right? Ta-da. Could die. You know. I suppose the, the moral is make, make the most of what you got because it could be over. Yeah. Yes, my yeah. grandma my grandmother always said, Many a muckle makes a mickle. Many a many muckle. muckle. Make- oh, no, no, I think it was the other way around. Many a mickle makes a muckle. Right. What's that mean? No, no, sorry, it was make a wow of sunshine. <laughs> 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 oh Christ. Right, well, well, just after we got yeah, just before we locked her in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> we should say before we get um further into it, uh, if anyone any eavesdroppers haven't listened to the first episode, they should probably stop this, pause this and go back, shouldn't they? Yes. So pause this and go back to episode eighty five. Because that's when we first sport you. I think that's probably a good idea. Yes, because yeah. we covered most of your early childhood and your schooling and whatnot. And we we did first drum kit and all that. So, <laughs> where were we up in the story? Were, were we were you about nineteen twenty? 
Yeah, well, I, 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 I'm 1920. <laughs> 19 or 20 years old. <laughs> fucking brick, I'm not as old as that. No, yeah, 1920. <laughs> <laughs> they were called slappers in those days, weren't they? Were they called slappers, the dancers? Flappers, in the 1920s? Flappers? Flappers. Flappers, oh, sorry. <laughs> slappers is... Uh, that's that's uh, modern local parlance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah. Ah, they're all slappers, slappers are the girls in the twenties in the gar, in the in the bar in the bar who raise the foot and they've oh, got yeah, uh, yes, yes. five shillings. You'd have to go soul. back to episode eighty five. Eighty five to find out what that's all about. Yes. Kiddies. Yes. <laughs> so back to uh nineteen sixty nine, nineteen seventy ish in yes, London. London. Uh we went through getting um uh, released from the contract. EMI, because they'd gone down to London with a band, and um, they wrote us up as a tax loss. Mm. Um, yeah, we did all that last week. And so uh, uh, everybody was, for the next kind of year or so, I think we did some more recordings and tried to get something else. But uh, our kind of hearts weren't in it, you know. I was going to say, was that pretty crushing? Because, I mean, it's everyone's dream, isn't it, to get signed to a major label like that <coughs> if you're a musician? Yeah. I mean, it's, you, you know, you get to find out what the music business is all about, you know, i.e. business mm-hmm. <laughs> and not music yeah. particularly. Uh, although there are exceptions, you know, I've worked for people who, I've worked for labels later on, you know, kind of indie labels and... Uh, uh, and people who, who who were more into the music than the business, you know. That's good to Branson know was one. Richard Branson worked for him, <clears throat> did sessions for uh, that was a Virgin bit, Records. Virgin Records. A little bit yeah. later on. But, yeah, that's what I started doing. I started doing sessions, you know. And uh, uh, I was doing a bit of theatre because... Um, uh, I can read music. I can read, you know. The, we talked about all the army stuff, uh, the marching bands last last week, and the rudiments and stuff. But it teaches you how to read music because there's a special music for drum music. I don't know whether you know. It's all written in the bass clef, mm. and mostly if you're working in a theatre, the top line is well. You you know where you've got the, you know all cows eat grass or whatever it is A B C, but it, in between the lines and on the lines. Well, in the in the stave for drum music, it's what you hit. Is you know, tom tom snare drum, but the top line is always either the ride cymbal or or the hi hat. Yeah. You know, the ding 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 ding. You know, you. So it's you know quite easy. And so anyway, after you, after a few shows, you can kind of get into it. You know, kind of. A, so do drummers yeah. like that? Do they sight read and play? Yeah, that's a difficult bit about Fucking it. Fucking hell. If you've got... But I mean, a, a few shows and you're kind of into it, you know? Really? It's just the same as anybody else sight reading, you know? Yeah, I suppose it is, yeah. That's yeah. Uh, mental to me, being able to... You know, like um, um, orchestra, orchestras and classical yeah, musicians, yeah. the way they can just turn up at the Royal Albert Hall and get given the sheet yeah. music and... Do it, yeah, and, exactly. and, and just play it and, and read it at the same time. That's uh, it's like fucking voodoo. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, so I was doing a bit of that, and um, I, t- I think I did a couple of sessions for bands. Um, nothing to write home about, but I met a guy called Derek Guyler, 
<coughs> excuse me, who um, he was in a comedy show with Eric Sykes and Hattie Jakes. Called, I can't remember. It was, it was maybe called Bless This House or something. He was the policeman, Corky, an actor, you know. But he was, he was bless him, the finest washboard player in England. He was a brilliant washboard player and an absolutely lovely man. Uh, I can't remember how I met him, but oh, I did an album for a guy called John Pierce, playing a Jay Pierce, who was a. Uh, uh, folk artist and he wanted me to play washboards and I met and and he said uh, I couldn't get Derek Garler but a, but a, a, a friend of a friend said that you played so I rang you up and I got to meet him and uh, he was a, he had a, one of the most amazing collections of kind of old 78s you know King Biscuit Boy and the and all and beautiful pictures of these old bands you know with massive bass drums and washboards and all kinds of weird stuff, you know. Um, and uh, we came to an arrangement where if he couldn't do a session, he just rang me up and I'd go and do it, you know. Yeah. So it was really helpful. You know? Super I, sub. I, I did that. That's <laughs> yeah. where I found out about um, ragtime piano back then. You know, the old kind of Professor Longhair, not quite the kind of Mac Rebonite Dr. John yeah, it was kind of new on it, but it was kind of ragtime piano. Joshua Rifkin, you know, the kind of, the theme to Bonnie and Clyde type ragtime piano, you know, like, they had washboards in the back. And I did an album with a, yeah, a guy called Joshua Rifkin. I think that was my first big paid session, washboards. Right. You know, so, and of course, washboards, if you get into the history of drum music, you know, early snare drums, you know, for people who couldn't, Afford snare drums, you know, because it sounds just like, you know. Anyway, well, the, you know, the snare drum has beads strapped to the underneath of the skin, and that's what makes the the raspy sound, isn't it? It's got well, yeah, that's how it started off, but it's very sophisticated now, you know, oh, wire, yeah. wires and stuff, and you get you get to all kinds of sophistication. But I didn't really get into that. Mm. I just had a big forty-eight, but you know a big 48-string snare across the very first snare drum that I ever bought, and I still had it when you just got rid of it now. That's from back then, mm. you know, which was from the drum kit I bought just after the autocrat orchestral, remember? Last week with the big and the budgicade stands yeah, yeah. and all that. The next the next um, kit that I got was a Olympic White, which was a subsidy of Premier, I think. Right, oh, who are still, yeah, yeah. still a big name in drums. And I still have the snare drum. Yeah, right. still have the snare drum. So, yeah, I got into doing sessions. And then, <coughs> excuse me, our manager um, got us all together and said, uh, listen, I've, I've, I've had an offer, because um, you're all doing next to nothing. I've had an, off an offer... Um, from Bill Kenwright, who was a theatre impresario. Yeah, right. rings a bell. Um, Is it the guy who was the Everton chairman? He owns Everton now. Yeah, yeah. Bill Kenwright. Yeah, but he, it, yeah. he made all his money from the Wombles. I'm talking about the Wombles now. Right. So I'm, the I'm 19... going to blow my street credibility <laughs> right fucking far so out. So for any, any younger eavesdroppers, the Wombles were like a, a kid's show 
There's uh, a bunch of fur, furry animals that used to live on Wimbledon Common. Yeah, litter with, pick. And, and, and pick litter, yeah. yeah. Or some people say they used to uh, um, go out with golf clubs and try, <laughs> and try and destroy Wimbledon by golf clubbing dog turds into the purple mat. <laughs> I, th- I think that's a joke. I don't think they did that. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the... Um, or... Splat. That's all right. Die quietly in the corner. Oh, my Phil. God. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, he came and said, listen, um, Bill Kenwright, uh, the, the story behind the Wombles is that Elizabeth Beresford, the, the woman who wrote the children's book uh, and made a lot of money out of the TV series, then sold the, the, the theatre rights to Bill Kenwright and the music rights to Mike Batt. Now, that name rings a bell from TV as well. Yeah, yeah, Mike Batt was a kind of producer, I think, Yeah, in those days. But he he bought the music rights and uh, and then hit, hit, hit after hit, you know. I could still do it now. Remember, 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 remember. Remember you're remember you're a womble, yeah. So, anyway, Keith, our manager, said, look, you could go up to Preston, you know. Most of the band went, well. Anyway, <laughs> you could go up to Preston to the Charter Theatre mm. over Christmas and do 12 weeks uh, in the in the Womble Show, the new um, nationwide Womble Show that's going out. So, uh, and then he mentioned it and we all went, ah, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> it's a you know you can imagine, but then he mentioned how much money we'd make a week, and so we were on the you know we we're in the van in about two minutes. Yeah. So we came up here, to <laughs> Preston, bless it, and set up. And the thing about it was, um, all those of a certain age will remember this. Um, they hadn't thought it through, because we were the band, you know, you know, to sing the songs and stuff. And we were in, you know, the orchestra pit. And then the, you had actors on stage who had to speak their lines. But the Wombles had these big snouts. Yeah. You know, you, know, you remember these big kind of conical-shaped mm. faces. And, and people just couldn't hear them. Right. Um, and so when we were going through the rehearsals, um, you know, you know, Keith said, well, listen, um, for some extra money, I'll go down to London and I'll bring our PA up, and we'll put the PA up at the side of the stage, and we'll put all the microphones like this mm. all the way along the front of the stage, and then people will be able to hear the actors. Was, was this Keith your manager who said this? Keith the manager, right. yeah. So, and so, you know, we made more money out of that. Mm. But we broke all box office records <laughs> because the shows in Liverpool and the shows in Manchester and the shows around... The, the actors were all taking their heads off to, <laughs> to speak the lines. Oh, just God. Time to make, you know? so and, of course, the kids were going, oh, look, but there's such a big wombo. It's a man in a mask. Yeah. You know, this kind of stuff. So, uh, so they all came to see us. And then right. it got extended from 12 weeks to, you know, we were up here for, for ages. Uh, and, then, and then it just took off from there. Uh, we did 16 weeks here and 14 weeks there, and we were flavour of the month, you know. Oh. And we could ask whatever we wanted, pay pay wise, 
you know. And by, by, by then, we'd got it off patch, you know. Yeah. Did 20, 28 weeks at the Shaftesbury Theatre in London. Wow. Two shows a day, three on Saturdays, and Sunday off. Fucking hell. You know. And the funny thing about that is um, it was my job. In the end, what they did was tape the show, and so the actors just had to mime, yeah. and we had to play the music. Mm. You know, simple idea. But it was my job as the drummer that whenever the, a, a, a cue came up in the show, like Great Uncle Bulgaria would say something like, Arbid Wombles, you must always remember. <laughs> Offbeat, remember, remember, mm-hmm. and in. It was my responsibility to bring the band in, mm. you know, with an offbeat. And people used to say, you know, if I sat around with me drinking on a Saturday night or whatever in a cafe or anything, and one of the keys from the show came up, my shoulder went <laughs> <laughs> automatically, <laughs> you know. So, so that was that was. I only dressed up twice in the uh, Womble outfit. Yeah, in the Womble outfit. One was for charity, some charities on Wimbledon Common, where I got um, creative. A crate of malt whiskey and something else, uh, and a handshake, you know, a portion, a pony or something. I can't remember. Yeah, and the other was top of the pops. You're on top of the pops. Everybody was fucking on top of the pops. <laughs> I haven't been on top of the pops. Yeah, that's well, there's no time for us anymore. So. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, but I'm a fucking womble. I mean, who's going to know? <laughs> no, Nobody's going to yeah. know. You could be, yeah. In the yeah. early days. I mean, the musicians on the singles, you know, were really respectable with people like Chris Spedding and, you know, some really jazz, you know, amazing musicians, mm. you know, and they were all, I think John Peel dressed up as a Womble one, you know. Right. And it, you know, and it was on kind of every week and then they brought another single out and then we're on, on, on every week. So there's a big kind of queue of people who wanted to be a, to say that, well, I, I've been on top of the pot. Wow, oh, yeah. really? Yeah when, yeah, when I was dressed up as Tomsk, that's yeah. me at the old Tobermory. <laughs> you know, well, well, nobody fucking believes you. And anyway, who fucking cares? To be honest. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. So that was that. And then that kind of finished because we just got fucking, you know, by that time, we'd been living out of each other's pockets. It was like being on tour, except... You know, turning up to work. It was like turning up to work every day, you know. Mm. How, how long did it last for, the Wombles? Was it a year? Or? Oh, no, it's, got, I mean, it's still going now, man. No, I mean, your involvement in the touring. <coughs> I should think a couple of years. A couple of years, solid. 18 months, maybe. Yeah. 18 months to a couple of years. Because earning a lot of money, you know. Yeah. So what happened then? Did the, did the Womble thing fizzle out, or did you hightail it, or...? We just got fed up with it. I think, you know, we just we just got biggest mistake I ever made, man. Because when I when I signed the contract for the music with Mike Bat, when we all you know signed that, you know, I should have said, well, they they paid me a cash sum, right? Well, what I should have said is, I'll take half of that and put me on a, a you know. Point zero five of a percent, yeah, <laughs> yeah. because I'd still be fucking yeah. in the I'd still be in the Bahamas today. Yeah, should have yeah. Spielberged it. Yeah, man. <laughs> because the, the other thing was, um, this is another great story as well. The, the Elizabeth Beresford sold the merchandising rights 
to a friend of mine who was a barra boy between Chelsea and Fulham football ground. He lived oh, in a bed sit about two two floors below me on the King's Road. You know, it's not a barra boy, you know, do what, leave it out, be brief, give me that fucking potion. I'm not here today and gone tomorrow, I'm here today and fucking gone tonight if the bus waits. You know, I'm selling scarves and rosettes and stuff yeah. between football grounds, you know. <coughs> but he begged, borrowed and stole the money to to buy the merchandising rights for the Wombles, right? And he's got his own island now just off St. Kitts and Nevis and the... In the fucking Caribbean. I've been there, man. It's fucking brilliant. Wow. I thought you were going to say it was Alan Sugar for a minute then. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> Lovely bloke, though. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Because hmm. I was over there and I was in the Bahamas and he invited me over. He said, come over. And he told me to go to this hotel. He said, just sit in the garden and I'll come and get you. I don't know, I'm sat in the garden, I'm been drinking, hunted fucking helicopter in, on the lawn, oh. and off we went, you know. Oh. I think mean, he, he's got all his family over there and everything, and it's just like, it's like the East End, except it's in the Caribbean, <laughs> wow. you know. Roast beef on a Sunday and all that, you know, do what, you know. He hasn't changed a bit, you know. Lovely bloke. <laughs> Multi-millionaire, man. Yeah. Yeah. Every credit. Good story, good story. Yeah. So what happened after the Wombles then? What, where did you end up? Wombles, now I've got to start thinking now. <laughs> uh, is this because of the substances? Is it a bit hazy? I was getting, uh, well, you know, if you're doing two theatre shows a day, three on Saturdays and having a day off on Sunday, you know, you need a bit of something to get you fucking through it. That's, you know, so, yeah, I did begin hitting it, but um, nothing special really mm. uh, you know I, I wasn't out of control then yeah. um, I'll get to that later um, but I and I was doing sessions as well right I was doing sessions as well and I, oh, I was also I was working um, uh, no I probably started working after the Wombles yeah I started working for a company called Morris Plaquets it's the first job I ever had in London, which is an equipment hire company. What you, kind of equipment? Musical equipment. Right. And uh, they got these vans, you know, and um, and you, you do mostly do the kind of studios in the in the West End, which was great because I got to know a lot of the producers, and that's how I got in to do sessions later on. You know? Oh, right, yeah. But um, I've got to cap a couple of funny stories of. My first day there, the first day, this guy, this guy took me out and he took me around the studios in the West End to show me where they were, you know. And in the afternoon, um, I, uh, they said, "Oh, you're going out with Big Sid." All right, okay. He's out the back of him and he's loaded in the van. So I went out the back and there's this guy. I'm not kidding you. His back was about fucking four foot wide, <laughs> with a with a. Led Zeppelin tour in 19, so this guy had been a major roadie, right. you know, but he'd, he'd lost his license and everything. So he just used to do the humping, but funniest guy I've ever met in my fucking life, man, you know. Um, Maurice Plaquets was famous for doing grand pianos in flight cases. Wow. Up, up sideways like that, to roll them into big gigs, you know. Fuck. You know, because they have kind of, if you go to a big gig uh, anywhere, you know, especially these days, they have kind of track from the from the 
from the big pantenic and lorries, you'll get two tracks so you can roll stuff in yeah. and roll it up to the stage and all that kind of thing. And they had these, yeah, this big. Uh, and he was the only person in London who had a white grand piano, ah, which right. is the one that John Lennon used. Wow! And imagine, wow, uh, had it from that was sold Black. recently, I think. Hard it from Morris Black. Yeah, it could. I don't know. I don't know. But because we're talking about Big Sid, Big Sid would if Big Sid was booked from eight o'clock until eleven o'clock or eleven thirty. Big Sid left at eleven thirty. You know, I remember we were doing a the opening of of Cabell Radio, and they'd hired a PA from us, and there was royalty there, and so uh, the other Attenborough, you know, the all that. Icky. Yeah, and it was going over time, and he get, fair enough. Big Sid, he gave him two warnings. And then he just marched down the fucking front, switched it all up, and went, I'm fucking off home. And that was it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the guy I'm talking, the kind of guy I'm talking about. Wow. But this is my favourite story about Big Sid. We got rung up. Bob Dylan was playing Earl's Court. Right. Wanted a white grand piano. Okay. And they were doing fucking, it was a fucking dress rehearsal, right? So me and Sid would load this motherfucker into the back of this van would truck it up to the stage. And I mean, to, to 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 do that with a grand piano, you've got to put kind of one leg on one court, you, you know, take the front of the front of the flight case off, put one leg on one corner and then kind of lower it down mm. and then take the flight case away. And then one guy's got to kind of lift it up while the other guy puts a leg on. Well, Big Sid was a great guy for... You know, and Bob Dylan's on stage there. He's got a big hat on and, and all the rest of it, you know. Uh, and he's kind of swanning about. And th this is the most amazing thing I've, I've ever heard in my life. Bob Dylan kind of came past Sid when he was trying to, trying to hold this fucking piano up. I'm not, I can't remember what he said to him, but all Sid said to him was, Fuck off, you wanker! <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Bob Dylan. Fucking great one. Jackie, I'm not a lovely bloke. He was a lovely bloke. Anyway, the second funny story. Second day, I'm there in a box transit, you know, with a tail lift and everything. Uh, and I, I'm full of amplifiers and drums and God knows what to go around the major still. And you, I'm in Shepherd's Bush. I get straight onto the Westway. And if you know London, the Westway is an elevated dual carriageway with no hard shoulder right so i'm on the westway and uh and i've suddenly remembered that i've forgotten to put petrol in the motherfucker. Oh. right so and i'm you know so I get onto the thing like that uh, this is plaque five uh plaque five to base uh Where's the nearest garage? We're going to get off the Westway because I, I forgot to put petrol in it. They call the guys back at the depot. You're going, ah, we've got it. Oh, Jim, uh, five. There's a we have a, a, a spare tank on these tran transits. It's there's a switch underneath the glove box. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like you know, can you go and get a bucket of air and all that? <laughs> you know. And here's me trying to find this fucking switch to, to switch it to this extra tank 
you know. And of course, foot, 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 foot. Uh, took on the motorway. And I get, the next job that I got, which I'll get into later, was working for Dave Simmons, who at that time had a um, a company called Percussion Services, which was just all drums, right? Oh, heaven, it was the best job I've ever had. You know, people would hire drum kits and big bass drums for orchestras and they. <coughs> and of course, I had to try them out before they went out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's great. Um, yeah, I, I, I might tell you the Keith Moon story later on. Oh, uh, but, um, oh. uh, yeah, sessions, I was doing sessions, and I think I spoke last time about with the money that I'd got, or started making then. I'd bought a place in um, Richmond upon Thames. Yep. Got a mortgage and everything. But then uh, you, I wasn't making as much money and the mortgage was a bit... So I moved over to South London. Mm. Like I, I think I mentioned it last time. Yeah. Well, Blackheath, Lewisham, uh, Blackheath board is just, just up the road from Deptford. And we were talking about Deptford last time. That's right, yeah. The bands, the local bands playing there. Uh, yeah, so I'm over there and... Uh, uh, that's when I kind of, and we're into the kind of 70s now, I think early 70s, you know. Mm. Um, and I'm, I've heard reggae for the first time. Right. And it just blew me away, man. Would it have been Bob Marley or not? I think so, maybe. Mm. Was he around that early? I can't remember. Good question. But, but I, I was also working for um, um, a black minicab service. <laughs> right. And because I had kind of curly hair like Jimi Hendrix, you know, um, they used to call me Syrup, which is short for Syrup and Pigs, with all these Rasta guys, you know. Yeah, Syrup, man, you know. You know, say, take this package to the airport, man, you know. Be quick about it, you know. Say no more, man, you know. So, you know. So, and of course, you know, I was, get, yeah, I was getting into reggae. And I, I couldn't get my head around it. I couldn't get my head around where the beat was as yeah. a drummer, you know. You know that, you know the boom, tat, boom, boom, tat, boom, tat, you know, rock and roll. Mm. And this is boom, 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 right? Where the hell is that? So, you know, and all the other ones, you know, the steppers and. Yeah, uh, where did it come from? Yes. Yeah, it reggae, that's another. I did a, a reggae album called, called Roots, mm. it's on Spotify. And iTunes people, huh? yeah. Follow, uh, uh, yeah, we should say follow. Uh, uh, look, look for uh, Bam Jimbo on Spotify. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll put links. Send on. me to the Bahamas. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll put links send, in the show notes. Send me back to the Bahamas. Yeah, you know. No, but the history of the history of reggae is amazing. You know, I, I went over to Jamaica for some time, you know, because I wanted to learn about it. Right. And uh, of course, it's African, you know. Right. But basically, which is what you learn when you get out there, mm. because there's a bunch of people who play something called Nyabingi music. Mm. Nyabingi. Right. Which is like loads of Rasta people who smoke fucking chimneyfuls of fucking dope, mm. live on the beach, they live off fish and plantains and coconuts and fucking stuff, smoke all that, and they, and they play drums. That's all they do. Wow. And I stayed with a group of these people. They were called Ras Michael and the Sons of Negus. And they're a, a Rastafarian sect, religious sect. We're fucking serious about it, man. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, Nye Bingy stands for I hate the fucking white man. Well, not fucking, I hate the white man. That's what it means. Wow. You know. 
so stuck with that. So it's kind of African drumming. That the basis of it, and then also the other side of it, there's there was music called Calypso. Right. Yeah. Do you remember Calypso? Yeah, yeah. I just turned on my way. Won't be back. Melody of day. You know, uh, Cy Grant and those kind of people mm. over here. Uh, um, and uh, and then there was something called you know Scar and Rocksteady. Mm-hmm. You know, which you know, I played with Rico for a while. So are these the old, these are the all the precursors to reggae then? Yeah, precursors to reggae. Scar and Rocksteady were kind of um, there was a kind of calypso thing in it because calypso, calypso was kind of like the local news. You know, the, the songs were, you know, President Ernest going to the shops and going to the <laughs> right, yeah. in the back, and when he comes back, he's going to do this. And I don't know to anybody. You know, it's kind of like the news. Like in Africa, you have people going around telling the news with music. The stuff. Herald. I mean, it goes back to fucking ancient. It's ancient. The Herald yeah, yeah, comes yeah. and delivers. The news, the... yes. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he, he. Yeah, they used to sing it too. It's incredible, mm. isn't it? Amazing. And reggae was kind of born out of that, kind of, kind of rock steady. Um, it really interested me to know that a lot of those guys, you know, like Bob Marley and Peter Tosh and all those people, Lee Perry, um, the producers, were listening to, were listening to American radio. Right. You know, which is why you've got, you know, take that ribbon from your... You know, it's a country and western song. So they they, they were listening to country and western and then... Reimagine it and reinterpret it. Yeah, and then they started to... The the scar, instead of it being kind of two-time, scar's really kind of... You know, like that. And they started drop what's called dropping the three, yeah. which is uh, to reggae, yeah. you know, red, red wine. Right, red, red wine's a Neil Diamond song for pizza. Is it? Yeah. Fuck, I don't know. <laughs> right. Red, red wine's a Neil Diamond. See, we're listening to all this radio from America. They didn't have any of their own, and that that's it just rolled from there, right? You know, that's another of my favorite music quotes from anybody Bob Marley. You know, he's being interviewed, and they said, Well, uh, you know, when he got the whalers together, uh, I've, I've heard, um, I've heard that you went up into the hills, you know, to uh, to rehearse. You Peter Tosh and Bunny Whaler, you <coughs> and he said, Yeah, yeah, man, you know. One of them to the and he said, and you were up there for three or four years, I'm told. And there's a pause, and then Bob Marley says, yeah, man, these things take time. Look, <laughs> <laughs> <Nice. laughs> You know, which is absolutely fantastic. And again, yeah, and to cut a long story short um, about reggae, there was a Joe Gibbs record shop in Lewisham. Now, Joe Gibbs was a big reggae producer. Mm-hmm. He wasn't behind the counter, but he was one of his shops. 
you know, there's a lot of Jamaicans in the area. And that's when I first heard Sly and Robbie. Ah. Have I talked about Sly and Robbie? You haven't. Not Sly on the list, Robbie. No. Sly Dunbar and Robbie Shakespeare. And these right. are a famous they're, rhythm section, aren't they? They're one of the highest paid rhythm sections in the world now. Wow. You know. But I got, back then, um, I was buying albums like There Was No Tomorrow, you know, Augustus Pablo, especially, and, uh, and all this stuff. And I remember coming out and asking a, a Jamaican friend of mine, I said, I've, I've been going through those racks in Joe Gibbs' record shop. And I said, who's, who's this Sly and Robbie? Sly on drums and Robbie, Robbie Shakespeare on, on, on bass. And he said, oh, yeah, the, the Rhythm Twins. They're called the Rhythm Twins mm -hmm. in Jamaica. Uh, and he said, he said, you'd be hard-pressed to find a, a, an album in there without them on. Wow. You know. Prolific. A reggae album coming out of Jamaica. Yeah, they just, yeah. They, wow. just, they just played on all of it in, in the early days. And they, and they got together at primary school, those two. Wow. We're back to Alaraka, aren't we? The tabla player, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, 10,000 hour rule, yeah. They had it from, from up. Wow. You know. Are they still going slime, Robbie? Oh, yeah, man. Wow. Yeah, That's I got amazing. to meet him in the end. Did you? Yeah. I got to meet him at the Mad Professor's house. <laughs> when I was making my album, when I was making my my reggae album, the Mad Professor in London is a big, a, a very famous reggae producer. Oh. He, he did all that, um, uh, uh, you know, love love reggae. Uh, Janet Jackson and uh, all that stuff in the eighties. You know, had loads of hits. And his son, his son. Uh, it's a fantastic, both amazing dub artists, you know. He's a DJ now, goes all over all over the world, you know. <coughs> but he was working on there, and um, his wife was a business lady. So I'd paid for the studio time and, and his son's expertise. Uh, and I was, um, I was sat in the upstairs office, right, Um just about to hand over some cash to, to his wife. I've forgotten what his wife's called. Anyway, and I heard two people come in and sit on the settee just by the door at the back. And I just happened to kind of turn around and that nearly broke my neck. You know, that like double take that you do. Mm -hmm. Just turn around and it's just Sly and Robbie sat on the couch, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I said, oh, uh, 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 I started stammering. I used to stammer when I was a kid. I started fucking stammering, you know. And uh, so I said, ah, so you're this band jumbo, huh? you know. And I, I'd heard that they both carry guns, by the way. Uh, you're this band jumbo, right? you, you're doing this album on our heavenless rhythm, huh? And I'm thinking, money. <laughs> but no, they were really into it, man, because it was for charities, for the sickle cell charity. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I go, where's our copy? You know, where I, just wait there, I'll get you one from the, you know, I was blown away, man, you know. And then they just went. And I, I didn't realize, but the mad professor had been trying to set them up to come and do an album with him. Right. So, uh, and I met him later on in Kendall. They tour with they tour with a band man that really knocked me sideways, you know. Mm. 
And a friend of mine who's now, he's now working, he's booking bands into the band on the wall now. Oh, yeah, but he, he's working at uh, Candle Brewery. Do you know Candle Brewery? Not well. It's a big not. gig, rock and roll gig. Oh. It's an art centre, brewery oh. art, the Brewery Art Centre. And then a friend of mine went up there, you know, Sly and Robbie Rom, because he's a big fan. Yeah. And at the end of the, um, this has got this has got something to do with what I want. If I was going to be buried, I'd want this on my gravestone. This. At the end of the gig, there's all the horn section of filing off and Robbie piled off into the dressing room at the back. And then Sly, Sly came from behind his drums like that, and he just said into one of the microphones, uh, if Jim Bamber in the house, come back and talk to us, man. We want to have a word with you, you know. And this friend of mine went, Jim Bamber? <laughs> Jim, that's you. <laughs> you know, and I went back, and uh, they were the sweetest pair of, unassuming guys, you know, and and they worked with everybody, man, the Stones, Bob Dylan, Joe Cocker. Um, they did all the, all the Grace Jones stuff, you know. Um. Oh, they're, they're, you know, hip-hop. I can't remember, just seen Stormzy, you know. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. You know, getting everybody to shout, fuck you, Boris. I thought, well, that's good. Did he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I, I, some, somehow, me and, me and rap... Kind of don't. I, I used to like the early stuff, you know, the kind of um, Sugar Grandmaster Hill Flash, yeah, you Jurassic know. Five. But like Sly and Robbie, Sly and Robbie did Bass, The oh. Final Frontier. Right. That's Sly and Robbie. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's the kind of stuff. Yep. But so, and I went back and, and the, they were really complimentary, man, you know. Well, Sly, Sly's the one who talks. Robbie's a fucking massive guy, and he always wears a, a, you know, a kind of red bandana, you know, smoking a big Camden carrot, you know. <laughs> and uh, he's just laid, laid up against the wall, you know. And uh, Sly's going, look, tell him, man. You listen to the album as well. You tell him what you think of it, man. <laughs> and he just took his sunglasses off, and he looked me straight in the eye, and he said, not bad for a crazy white bumphead. <laughs> nice. So that was a compliment. That's what I wanted on my gravestone. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to be cremated, you know. Oh, yeah. But, you know, not bad for a crazy white bumphead. <laughs> Robbie Shakespeare. Yeah. You know, everybody would be coming back going, Robbie Shakespeare, who the fuck's Robbie yeah. Shakespeare? Great stuff, though, man. Big compliment. Yeah, yeah good exactly. So, um, yeah, reggae and Deptford. And I was I got myself into a band mm -hmm. and we were playing the kind of local circuit. Uh, I think I've spoken about Deptford before. It's, it's a long high street. And, uh, and there was music in just about every pub down there. There was a pub called The Duke where the Realists and Dire Straits used to play there. Uh, and then there's a pub called the Deptford Arms where Squeeze started, right. um, which was run by a pair of a pair of gangsters called the French Brothers. Oh, right. But at the end of at the end of Deptford High Street, just around the corner on the main road, there was a massive arts centre called the Albany Arts Centre, the Albany Empire. Sorry, the Albany Empire Arts Centre still there. 
at least to put big shows on and it you know it's an art center a bit like the brewery art center except yeah. bigger you know and that's where i met loads and loads of people in there because i could do shows in there i used to get paid you know, if you wanted a drummer who could read, I used to do, do that kind of stuff, all that kind of stuff. Then. And I was doing sessions uptown, and I was working in this band uh, called the Alligators. And we were kind of playing reggae and blues and stuff. And we had a we had a lead singer called Rubber Johnny, <laughs> who, who was dancing, you know. But he, <laughs> but he used to come at John Turner. He was a great... He, he was kind of Ian Dury before Ian Dury, right. you know, because he used to come on all, all unshaven, you know, with a yeah. with a bald head and a dirty Mac, you know, with his hands in his pockets, you know, with a bit of a fucking split stick, you know, was, you know, and, and all that. So yeah, so I was doing all that then, and uh, and in that band, I met a guy called Harry Bogdanovs. Harry what? Harry Bogdanovs. Harrits. Bogdanovs, wow. or Harry Boggs, as we used to call him, uh, one of the greatest piano players, one of the greatest musicians I've ever met in my life. Man. Brilliant musician. Oh, and um, he was playing keyboards, and he moved into my basement flat with his girlfriend. Moved me out of the bedroom. I had to go in a spare room because, you know. And, uh, and we got on like a packing house on, but he comes from Oldham. Nice. He was a rugby league player, but then his knees went, you know. But as a honky-tonk pianist or, or keyboard player, and he could play bass or guitar or, or anything, he loved reggae. Uh, we got on like a house on fire, and we formed a band uh, right then and there called Studio Two. Uh, there is a short film of us playing at Dingwalls, headlining at Dingwalls, which... Um, I might show you a bit of, um, and it was just two of us, right? There was there was Harry, keyboards and vocals, and me, and I had this kind of enormous kind of percussion, I had washboards and bits where I sat down, bits where I stood up, and, and you know, an enormous kind of conglomerate of of whizzers, bangers, and shakers, and <laughs> washboards, and drums, and fucking all kinds of shit, you know. Mm. And people, and I can remember Harry saying, he said, we've been doing this at home, you know, making these little tapes and stuff, and everybody really likes it. Why don't we go and play the pub, you know? Why don't we go down and see Eric at the Duke and see if we can get a gig, you know? Uh, I went down there and we played one gig, and it went, the next week the place was absolutely heaving, man, you know? And, uh, and, and we got... Um, we got signed, but they we got signed by uh, the, what I call the Welsh Mafia, which is kind of Rockfield, you know, Dave Edmonds and and those people, Abby and Di Davis, and all those guys. And we, and we made a single, but <coughs> called the Devil in the, Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea. Beautiful kind of lazy scar song, really nice. Unfortunately, Terry Wogan made it his fucking song of the week. Is this Radio 2? Yeah. Right. Unfortunately. Because we were kind of reggae, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and believe it or not, I can remember Harry. I can remember our manager, George. He was a character. I'll tell you about him sometimes. 
remember our manager George coming in and saying, "Got on, got you an interview on TV, lads." And I went, "Oh, fucking great! Look, was just fucking Terry be still my dancing pumps, fucking Wogan has sunk us without a fucking trace so far." Um, he said, "Yes, yeah, with Gloria Hollyford." <laughs> uh, <laughs> Shit. Harry nearly strangled him. <laughs> so this was like street cred out the window, was it? Being again, fronted by again, Morgan yeah. and Honeyford. This is, this is, again, I blow my street credibility. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what, what happened just after that was Squeeze, um, who Gilson, the drummer, is a beautiful guy, and, uh, and a few of the other people used to come to the Duke and watch us. You know, Jules Holland and people, because we were a bit of a, you know, it was a, it was a great show to be honest. You know, yeah. because you have this wild. Well, one of the when we did a show up in London, I think at the Hope and Anchor, the guy from the NME fucking raved about it. You know, for nearly half a page, you know, on the, on the live page, mm. and and the last bit of it said, uh, the keyboard player and vocalist is. Sublimely sophisticated, and the songs that he writes are fantastic. And his monkey's not bad either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, organ grinder, sorry, organ right. singer, yeah, that's right. yeah. So, that, <laughs> so uh, you know, so it's a bit of a spectacle. And they took us on tour, Squeeze, which, oh, was, right. the, which was the first time I, I, you know, was ever on a kind of major, major tour. You know, doing. Places the size of you know the kind of rock and roll, um, uh, Hammersmith size gigs, you know, mm. you know with with squeeze theaters, yeah, big yeah, theaters. big theaters, you know, the old Mecca ballrooms. And was yeah. that just uh, around the UK? Yeah, to start with, or yeah, uh... mm. yeah. All right. So they took you on tour, and we did one with Dire Straits. And the thing was, <laughs> we we were we got. We got coined as being the best support band around. And, of course, when you get that reputation, yeah. you're always going to be a support band. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we were so popular was that we had a roadie who'd put all my drums on on, on wheels so I could just press the thing up and everything would come up. And, and all Harry's keyboards, because he was a bit of a, you know, one of them. Yeah. And, and, and we had backing tapes and all that kind of stuff. And, and so... We could set up in front of the main band because it, in every every gig I've, I've played since, if you're the support band and you've got a drum kit, it's mm. a fucking nightmare <coughs> because you've got to mic it up, you've got to mic his up and then yours up, and mm. you know it's a, you know it's a nightmare. But what we could do was, you know, we could just up and off sideways like that, and then the main band could come straight on. Yep. Which was oh, that's great, yeah. Perfect for people, you know. So, you uh, for for a split second there, you you mentioned you went on tour with Dire Straits, supporting Dire Straits. We did a European tour with Eric Clapton. <laughs> with Eric Clapton. <laughs> that's the the only time in my whole career that I've ever been uh, in the in the Premier League, if you like, if you understand me. You know, you were in the hotel. Ah. Oh, right. You're in the hotel, you get a piece of paper slipped under your door telling you exactly where you're going to be 
in three hours' time and then exactly where you're going to be, you know. You know so, and it's hotel, limousine, gig, limousine, hotel, aeroplane, off, you know, all that. Amazing. Yeah, Premier League. Sort of. And to be honest, I, 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 I couldn't really get on with it, you know, because uh. it's... You know, people said, oh, why are you fucking shitting yourself? Well, no, not really. Because if you're playing at night in these big football stadiums, you can't see fuck all. No. Because all, all these spotlights on you. Yeah. You no, know, it's like um, um, Oscar Wilde's Big Black Giant. You know, the audience, when you're in a, when you're in a professional theatre, you, you maybe see two people on the front row. Man. But the rest of it's just all black. Yeah, yeah. It's harder yeah, to play in front of five so, people. Yeah, but it, we used to come back and off those gigs and play the Duke in front of our friends and friends and neighbours, and I was more fucking cheering yeah. myself about that, you know? mm. really. So we were really, good, you know, yeah, it was good. Man. So did you go straight from touring with Squeeze, getting the rep for being the the go to support band, and then going to Dice yeah. Straits? Yeah, man. yeah. So two, so it was. Um, Dire Straits, your first tour around Europe, then? No, that was just the UK as well. That and was it, UK. And it wasn't really a tour, it was more, I think we did about half a dozen gigs from home. And we got that, we got that one because of our contacts in the, with the Welsh Mafia. <laughs> Terry Williams, you know Terry Williams, no. the drummer? The drummer with Dire Straits, right. Welsh guy, he used to be in a band called Man. Amazing, amazing drummer. Um, he was in. Uh, Dave Edmonds used to play with Dave Edmonds as well, Rock Pile, and those people, you know. Um, uh, amazing people. Uh, great drummer he is. What was, what was Martin Offal like? Don't really know them, really. Didn't, uh, didn't no. get talked to him much. Didn't really socialise with them much. Did you not? No. Well, did Terry Williams, I did, because we knew him, because he was, he was always at Rockfield, you know. Yeah. It was drummers, you know. Yeah. You know. You gravitate towards each other, you drummers, yeah. do you? I'm, I remember that was where I met... Uh, uh, oh, God, what was his name? Anyway, I call it non-story, I can't remember the guy's name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, but we did those tours, and then me and Harry had a big fallout. Oh, no. Because we were both a bit kind of boozy and woozy and a bit... Oh. And uh, as they say in the business, I'm a bit fizzy. Right. Have you taken anything, Jim? Well... I'm a bit busy. So, yeah. So we had a big fight. I fell out. Oh, bloody hell. Yeah. Have you reconciled since? But not before we did the Alexis Searle tour. Oh, right. Which I ah. haven't told you about. Right. Oh, yes. Yeah, we reconciled so Good. Lovely so, uh, well, Alexis Searle. Straits, you know Dire Straits, Sultan's a Swing? Yes. There was a band in Deptford in a pub called the Sultan's of Swing. Oh, right. Oh, and right. Harry... Is the piano player? If you listen to the lyrics, uh, Harry doesn't mind. If he doesn't make the scene, yeah. Oh, very right. Harry doesn't mind if he doesn't make the scene. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it, that area was just rife with it, you know. Mm. Music everywhere, you know. There's a lot of really great bands there. Uh, there's uh, uh, really good. Um, I tried to get into a well. I tried to into more than a band, uh, a really beautiful black singer called Debbie Bishop. And a friend of mine, he's been a friend of mine now for years, Prince Burroughs, he got the job. 
He used to be the drummer in the Fabulous Poodles. <laughs> a great band they were. <laughs> they, they were. Oh God, that's another story. Fucking hell, they were ace. You know Bobby Valentino, the violin player. Yeah. Famous violin violin player on. Whatever that hit record was, that's him on there, and um, yeah, all those characters down there, it's great, man. But I was going to tell you about the Albany Empire. Now the old Albany Empire used to have a comedy show every I can't remember which day of the week right. it was, and that's where we got to meet Alexi. Because mm. one night we did the support, but sometimes we'd go out as a jazz. Band, just me, and there was a friend of ours who played baseball fiddle, you know, I love the sound of that, man. You know, the big stand-up bass. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I can remember this night, well, I'd never heard of him before, you know, uh, but everybody was saying, John Turner and all our friends, oh, you want to watch, you want to listen to this guy? Scouser is fucking really funny, you know. <laughs> so... We come on and do the support, you know, and it really was funny, you know. I thought, God, that's amazing, you know, because he was doing, you know, in his tight suit and everything with his the thing, doing all these, yeah. you know, all that, Mr. Sweary and all that. Yeah. You know? Controversial in his day. Oh, very. Very, yeah. Didn't pull any punches. He wasn't as controversial as, not Dave, it's not Dave Allen, another Allen. Uh who used to come on stark bollock naked with his dog, with his clothes in a fucking um, Sainsbury's carrier bag. Oh. Lily Allen's dad. Really? Yeah. Um, Keith, yeah. Keith, yeah. Keith, Allen. Allen. Keith Allen. Keith Allen. Keith Allen. That's, exactly, that's how Keith Allen started. Right. Yeah. He used to come on stark bollock naked with his clothes in a bag and his dog. Wow. Jeez. Alternative comedy. Well, get your yeah, noticed, yeah, get your like noticed it. won't it? Yeah. yeah, you're not going to forget that in a hurry. Yeah. But that's how he got to know Alexi. And then Alexi, uh, I, I can't remember the guy from the, um, uh, you know, who did the young ones and he did, you know, all those um, five go on holiday, the producer. Anyway, he, 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 he put up the money for the comedy store in the West End, right? Oh, to be built? No, no, no. It was in, it was in. Raymond's Review Bar. Raymond's Review Bar. Now, I don't know whether, if you're not compass mentis with Soho, Raymond's Review Bar is one of the most sophisticated striptease joints <laughs> in the area. Oh. And it's got two fantastic theatres in there. But he persuaded uh, Mr. Raymond to hire one of the theatres and put on a comedy night. Mm. So that's, that's where the comedy store started. Wow. And Alexi was the compare. And the, the idea at the, in the beginning of the uh, comedy store was that anybody from the audience could get up and have a go. Open mic. Yeah. And if Alexi didn't like them, all the, all the people got a bit hairy. He used to gong them off with his big gun. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Alexi's job. Wow. You know. And Alexi got us the job as being the band. We went up and did this little jazz trio thing up there, you know, um, uh, in the interval and all that. So 
and that's how we got to know Lex. Right. You know, and uh, and he just he just asked us if we'd go on his tour with him. And I think that was a convenience thing as well. Oh, by then, by the way, I'll go back to Dave Simmons. Dave Simmons, the guy that I used to work for at Percussion Services, yeah. is the guy who invented Simmons drums. Oh, shit, the electric pads. The first, the first electronic. They were like massive octagon yes. fucking yeah, yeah. pads. Yeah. If you've, yeah. It's something like a Def Leppard video from 1982. Yeah. It's probably yeah. And, one arm. Yeah. <laughs> and me and, me and Bill Bruford... From yet he was in Yes and King Crimson. Oh fuck! Right. Were the first two drummers. Were the first two drummers to get Simmons drum kits. Wow! And and Dave Simmons gave me one uh, uh, with the with the. I had to put it on all the posters. Oh fuck! Do you know how much that would be worth now? On tour, <laughs> on tour with the, what? That Simmons drum kit. That'd be worth an absolute. But that's fortune. the one I play on the. On the young ones on right. TV. No way. You've seen the you know I was on the young yes, ones. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. If you look, that's the so Simmons drum Simmons kit. kit. Yeah, so he Simmons invented the Simmons drum kit. He invented the Simmons drum kit. Yeah, he did. Well, he I did. can't remember where you were going before that. As it was uh, the I'll, Alexi I'll with Alexi, yeah. Well, when I'm talking with Alexi, right? And because of the Simmons drum kit, I, I think Alexi kind of fell in love with it as well. Because I could make all kinds of weird fucking noises and shit, you know. Oh, Pads. Yeah. 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 You know, and it was dead convenient. We could all get in one van, just the two of us, for the band, tour manager, Alexi and his missus, Chevrolet Tech Cruiser, done. We're yeah. off. Yeah. You know. And, and yeah. that's how we did the CAC tour, the famous CAC tour. Now, was this was that a single that Alexi Sale released? Or was it a part of his comedy special or something, the CAC thing? No, the cat was a tour. It was the tour, the name of the tour. The tour, and <clears throat> what he did was to record the set. Um, I've done a lot of sessions for um, uh, Island Records, you know, reggae and stuff, and I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd been learning the percussion and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, White Bad, Mr. White Bad. Blackwell, Blackwell, Mr. Blackwell, Island Records chief, uh, a, a real businessman, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, Pinchy Tosh used to call him White Bad, not Blackwell. <laughs> so you can gather. Um, but uh, Island Records owned a big church. Well, I was talking about church last week. Island Records owned a big church in Basing Street, the Basing Street Studios, Island Records Studios. Mm. And there was this, just this massive big church and the and they raised a bit of one end of it and put a put a you know a massive state of the art recording studio in it. You went up some stairs and the rest of it was just a church or you know, empty space. Yeah, yeah. So uh between me and Alexi and the and the the tour manager who, who went off to work for the Eurythmics, um, he, we got uh, Blackwell to, to 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 give us permission to record a live album in the church. So that's what we did. So we set up in the church, and Alexi invited all these uh, uh, high-stepping, high-polluting celebrities. 
as an audience, and that's when we made that album. Right. Oh, I'll show you later. Yeah. Right. So we actually did it in Basing Street Studios, you know. And I got, and we did the support. Oh, on all those, on, on the Alexi tour as well, we did a Studio 2 support bit at the beginning right. as well, you know. Yeah. You know, with, right. with all the washboards and yep. blah, blah. But then, you know, for Alexi... You know, I got, I got onto the Simmons, you know, because I could make all the silly noises when he fell over and stuff yeah. and all that kind of thing. Uh, and, I, yeah, I'll never forget at the uh, after we'd played the support and, we'd, and they were just getting ready for Alexi to do, to do his bit. Sting, who Alexi, Alexi used to call him String. Yeah. <laughs> Even when he was talking to him, <laughs> to fucking annoy the shit out of him. <laughs> well, String. Um, you know. <laughs> anyway, Sting came over to me and he went, "Fucking amazing drums, man!" And I thought he was talking about the Simmons. <laughs> yeah, you know, because I've been making all these fucking weird noises and I had an echo thing as well to make it go ding ding. ding, 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 ding. And all that, and all that kind of stuff. I said, "Yeah, Dave Simmons. I used to work for him." He said, "I'm not talking about the Simmons, you know. What's his name? I can't remember what his um, Stuart Copeland. Stuart Copeland. He said, oh, Stuart, Stuart's had one of those kids for ages." Oh, fuck you! Said, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about. He said he bought them as soon as he came out. I went. Oh, he said I'm talking about that conglomerate of fucking wizards, bangers, and fucking shakers there. Ah, uh, Studio Two stuff. Yeah, Studio yeah. Two stuff. And I thought, oh, oh, that's good. And I was hoping to get a session. <sighs> you know, I thought oh, I might get a session. No, no, no. Is this no. when he was? Was he doing his own stuff as yeah, well? Doing his this own is stuff the police. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Stuart Copeland's one of the best drummers oh, I've ever fucking heard. Good drummer. Amazing. Uh, so very good, very good reggae drummer. Yeah, well, people don't th necessarily Stuart think Cole. of the Police and think of Scar or reggae or anything like that, Kit. but there's a lot of Kit. it in there, isn't there? Kit. Yeah, definitely. Kit. Yeah. And he's on top of the beat as well. He's like, oh, he's like almost ahead. Yeah, very like good. Some drum. some drummers are ahead, and some are like I was thinking the drummer from Free. You know, all right now. I mean, he's he's right back on the beat, isn't he? Yeah. He's like, he's, he's almost not making it. <laughs> Stuart Copeland's I used like... To get, I used to get very drunk with him. You used to get drunk with him? In the speakeasy, yeah. Simon Kirk from Free. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Matthias Rose. Oh, yeah. the, the, is that in the weird bottle? The yeah. Wine the... <laughs> oh, you know, man. he could down... He used to down those, like, pints. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Charlie Watsman, you know? Mm -hmm. I got to know Charlie and Shirley Watts quite well from f through Ronnie Scott's again. You know, a, a lot of people don't know, but Charlie Watts is is a a recognised. He's uh, one of the top dealers in, in Edwardian silver in Europe. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> he's also a fucking great drummer. You know, he's he's got a massive. Massive band called Rocket 88, which is a big kind of sprawling Count Basie. A big know. band. Yeah, yeah. big, big like Count Like Jules band. Holland band. Yeah. Superb, man. Great job. The thing about Charlie Watts is he, he's always had that behind the beat thing. You know, Ringo had it too. 
Yeah. Yeah, Ringo, yeah. You know, and that's why the Stones, if you listen to my favourite album, has always been uh, Exile on Main Street, you know. Mm. You know, you hear things, something like Tumbling Dice, you know. Yeah. And the, the way he just comes into that and, call me the... And it just lurches, man. Yeah. You know, it's just nasty, dirty music. Isn't it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's filth. And, uh, yeah. Great drummer, though. Yeah. Great, great drummer Charlie was. And he can still do it. Yeah. Also, another of my favourite music quotes, people, Charlie Watts. They had a, oh, they had a documentary. They had a documentary called 25 by 5 when it was the anniversary of the Rolling Stones being in being in um, in the business for 25 years, you know. And they were interviewing them all, and they were in something like the Boston Red Sox fucking stadium, you know, in the afternoon, and there's fucking snow, you know. <laughs> this massive fuck-off stadium. And this this uh, Scandinavian chap, spotted Charlie halfway up, you know, with about three fucking woolly hats on and wrapping, wrapped in a duvet. <laughs> and off he went to interview him, you know. Mm. And he was interviewing him and he just came up in the conversation and said, uh, Charlie, I, I mean, I've been here for fucking four hours. How long have you been here? He said, oh, I've been here for about six hours, six, seven hours, something like that, rehearsing and, and stuff. And this guy said... 25 years in the business, you know, you must have done an awful lot of waiting around. And uh, and he said, yeah. He said, 25 years in the business, I've played drums for five and waited around for 20. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Good man, Charlie. There's a great video of Charlie Watts, uh, I think t taken by probably by one of the roadies from just behind his shoulder. That, I don't know how they got the sound so good. The sound's really good, but just behind his shoulder, doing a doing a really fast. Uh, I think it's all down the line, you know. Like, and he's he's fucking going ten to the dozen, and then at the end when he just whacks the cymbal at the end, he just turns around to the camera and goes, "Fucking right. hell!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, blows his cheeks out. Yeah, <laughs> great. Wonderful drummer. Silver dealer, eh? Yeah, Edwardian. That's silver. weird. Yeah. And, the, and I mentioned those guys also, but people like Jim <laughs> Keltner is one of my favourite drummers. I'll leave on helm with a band. All this, it's, I, I, I talked a lot about Billy Cobham last week, you mm. know, the guy. When you finally realise that, you know, you're not going to be Billy Cobham, and what he said to me was, he said, you know, if you, if you worry about people that are better than you, then... You might as well give up, yeah. You know, and if you think about people that you're better than, you just get big-headed. Yeah. So you might as well just carry on and do what you're doing, you know. And I, I decided to take the the route of feel, you know, playing the right feel, whatever, whatever. Because I was a session guy, you know. If somebody wanted, if somebody wanted calypso, I could do it. Or if somebody wanted reggae, I could do it. Or if somebody wanted blues, I could do it. But I could get the right feel, the right feel, you know. Yeah, you need versatility, don't you, to be a session musician? Well, you need, yeah, but you need to make the music happy, the musicians and the music happy, mm. you know. And I got that from talking to a lot of really good session players. 
you know, that you can, and, um, you know, it's feel, it's all about kind of fancy shit, you know, is what I'm trying to get around. You know, you don't need to do three-stroke flam fucking paradiddles. Yeah, it's not showing off, is it? Right, right, right the way that you need to just get the, the feel of the song because the bass and the drums is such an important part of music, I think. Absolutely. You listen to any good rock music, if the drummer and the bass player, no, no, you know. It's subtlety, I suppose, as well, isn't it? Mm. Mm. There are odd occasions. It's, I suppose, it's more. It's it's more rare for the drums to make a song. Exactly. I'm trying to think of an is that something like um, that Phil Collins one with the gorilla. Um, uh, in, in the air tonight, yeah. I can feel. Yeah. It. But the drums oh, make that song. He's no, an underrated great drummer. Drum. Great yeah. drummer. Oh, fantastic great drummer. drummer. He he plays drums on on my favorite John Martin album. You know, Stormbringer. And, no. and is it is John Martin Stormbringer? What's yeah, Stormbringer. It's yeah. got a, a absolute believe on on there, right? I think so. Yeah, mm. I've got a get, For instance, if I said if I said Jack Bruno to you. No? Doesn't mean it, no. Well, I think uh, two or three years ago, still plays, but two or three years ago, I saw him playing with Tina Turner, and then a friend of mine saw him playing with Joe Cocker. You know, he's one of the top rock drummers in the world. You've never heard of him. But he he just he can just do it, <laughs> you know. That's, that's where I wanted to get. Yeah, gone for hire. Yeah, yeah, man. Or yeah. A rock and roll tart. Yeah, known in the business. Yeah, I think that's the way to how go. How much? How much? How Ra much? Rather than being associated with an actor in a band where it can all go pear shaped, yeah, one day yeah. or the other. Yeah, and I got, I got a good reputation of that. Yeah, and also because of like I was talking about last, I, I my my interest was spreading out into kind of reggae and African music through Ginger Baker and the, and the African guys that were in London, you know. Um, Gaspar Lawala used to play with Georgie Fame. I used to, you know, I had a few lessons with him. He showed me a few bits and pieces. Um, <coughs> you know, I, I got interested in all this kind of, I suppose you call it world music, you know. Um, you know, all kinds of different percussion. And if you go into the history of percussion, it's fucking amazing. You know, you know, where did it all start? Why did it all start? You know, so the series of, you know, you two, you tell me where the first drum was made and how. That'd be some animal skin, wouldn't it? Stretched over a, some kind of probably less sophisticated than that. Open skull. That's, <laughs> that's very good. That's one of the theories. Yeah. That's one of the theories that in Africa, if you shoot a, 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 a whatever, a key book, <laughs> what are they called? Wildebeest? Like Roadbook. Uh, Roadbook. You know, you, 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 Antelope. Uh, yeah. An antelope. Well done. <laughs> Why couldn't you think about it? Just... Never get old, kiddies. And if you do get old, don't get old and sick. Uh, yeah, antelope. Then you skin it, you eat it, you use the bones for this mm -hmm. and that and the other. And then you, you dig a pit with charcoal in it and you scratch the skin over the pit that you've that you've um dug and you whack it like that with sticks to get all the fleas and them whatever right, it is off. to purify it you know 
And the guy who was on the one one string fiddle over here probably thought, "That sounds good. I'm going uh-huh. to I'm I'm going to get together with him." You know, and then next door probably thought, what the fuck is going on over there, you know? And then ne- next thing you know, knees up Friday, isn't it? Yeah. You know. And then the other thing, of course, is log drums, because they're the oldest ones that they've found. They oh. found them up in Scandinavia and Scotland. And, really? You know, which, which is, we should just hollowed out logs. Mm. Which I think I told you the last time I saw Ginger Baker's airports, he had, he had Prince Remy Kabaka at the front of the stage with two massive log drums just... Whacking them, you know. So like hollowed out, like like timpani or sort of really kettle drums. I'd say, I'd say, you, yeah, you're yeah. actually hitting the the inside of the log rather. Than, there's nothing stretched over the yeah, top. Yeah, it's or. like, a, yeah, they're called slit drums, right? Because you hollow the log out and then you put, you have a slit al- along it. And of course, then if you if you put them in a row, all different sizes, you've got what's called a marimba. Ah, yeah, it's like like the old uh, wooden blocks yeah. in school. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And you can do it with stones as well. You get different size stones off a beach, flat stones, you know, like the one you skim, but then build them up into big ones and then use a, a stick. You've got a little kind of xylophone. Easy. I suppose over in uh, in like the Far East that they say at a similar sort of time, you'd be, you know, different size bamboo makes a great noise. Bamboo is good. Yeah. yeah, great. And then of course, you've got the, you've got the, uh, you know, the Aborigine guys, you know, with the, the Judo. Yeah, you know. Didgeridaunt. Uh, um, um. <laughs> Fucking hell. Oh. I know a bloke in Long Reach called Didgeridoo Dave. Fucking hell. Oh, is he? Well, he's Didgeridoo everywhere. He brings it everywhere. <laughs> oh, he's got, so he's up at a party a and whips out his Didgeridoo. It's got a oh. bit, uh, yeah, it's got a bit, come on, what's the name on it? Not... Passé? Yeah. <laughs> Didgeridoo's are so passé. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's not, a, it's not a percussion instrument. So right. could, no, it's sorry, a woodwind. Fuck off. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> Okay, where was I got a bit? Yeah, but well, we were still with Alexis Sale originally, but and we got off to the history of drums. Well, Alexis Sale, um, what was I, he like personally? Because he, I, I think he, he, I get the impression he could be quite abrasive, maybe, or if he took a dislike to you, he was an absolute sweetheart of a man, yeah, an absolute sweetheart of a guy. I wouldn't I think he, I wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of him. That's the impression I get. No, mm. gentle, well, a really gentle. Um, vegetarian, non-smoking, non-drinking, bicycle freak. Ah. I guess that's just because uh, of his act. Because his act is so quite yeah. aggressive, and his act is a skinhead, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. You know, he's you know. But it is of, just an act. As soon as he comes yeah, off stage, it's like flipping a switch. Is it gone? Gone. Oh. But he's a, he's a very gifted guy, you know, mm. and and really intelligent. You know, incredibly intelligent. Uh, I mean, he's brought up in Liverpool 8, you know, if you read his biography. Liverpool? Liverpool 8. Is that a postcode? Bad, bad area, man, you know. Right. Just around the side of Liverpool, football ground, you know. Right. And he had communists for parents. Fuck. <laughs> he used to make a joke about them, they always dressed me in red. So <laughs> he said, that's fucking great round there, they just thought I'd support him. <laughs> <laughs> So how long were you touring with Alexi for? I can't remember how many dates we did. And how did that get into the young ones? But, but, but 40 or 50, I think. Oh, nice. Well, the young ones was going. I can't remember whether the young ones was going or started going while we were on tour or, or, or when we got back from tour. I can't remember. 
I can't remember uh, the chronology bits no. gone no. from that. But yeah, the young ones was. Um, I still get royalties from that. I, you know. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'd made. I'd. I'd, I'd learned a lesson from the Wombles. Anybody put a, anybody put a contract in front of me? Well, how much do I get out of it? Where's my percent? Yeah. I still get royalties for that. Yeah, man. Yeah. You know, but that's funny. I mean, Jesus, uh, BBC. I, I mean, I'd done some radio shows with John Peel and things before that, with bands and stuff. You know, John Peel, sweet man, yeah. another Liverpoolian, nice yeah. guy. Um, um, and they were mainly kind of radio things down at um, Maida Vale, you know, the BBC mm -hmm. studios at Maida Vale. But, um, oh God, I, I mean, we had to turn up at about nine o'clock in the morning for this, mm. to record this show. And um, the, the BBC-sponsored canteen, where you can get really cheap food, mm. uh, opens at about fucking 10 o'clock. And the bar opens at about 11. Mm. Well, you know, there's me, Harry, <laughs> Robbie Coltrane. You know Robbie Coltrane? Yeah, yeah. Hagrid. Hagrid. Hagrid, Hagrid yeah. Cracker for the old Dewey's droppers. <laughs> Man, I tell you what he can, I tell you what he can drink. <laughs> oh. you know, what a surprise. You know. So, <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> and there we have. <laughs> And then we had... Um, why, why the fuck was Robbie Coltrane there? He, he was in The Young Ones. Oh, of course. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he was in The Young Ones. When they had the roller disco in the bedroom. Yes. Mm. Oh, so this is where you're recording The Young Ones at Made of Ale, is it? No, 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 no. Oh, the, the, the main BBC studios. Right. Television centre, is yeah. it? Yeah. Right. <clears throat> oh, yes. <laughs> With the canteen. So right. we're pretty pissed, you know, by the, by the afternoon, <laughs> you know. And uh, so we did. So we did this run through in the afternoon, at about I don't know three o'clock or something. I went through, ran through this song two or three times, and uh, yeah, everybody said, "Yeah, that's cool," you know. And then you've got to hang around again, you know. Right. So it was me and Harry, <laughs> and this other guy called Dave Stafford, who'd, who'd written some of the music uh, for the young ones. He, he we were all absolutely fucking eyeless in Gaza, you know what I'm saying? We were pissed as fucking three handcarts, all of us, you know. I have to take a bit of speed in the afternoon just to, so I could play the fucking drums. But if you watch the episode, mm. if you watch the actual filming the night when they, just they bring a, an audience in and you record it, if you watch it very closely, the music was taken from the afternoon. Because ah, we were right. so pissed. At <laughs> we were so pissed actually doing the show. I'm rolling around the fucking drum kit. I don't give a fuck. I'm meant to go boom, 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 clap, boom, 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 clap. But I'm going boom, 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 clap, clap, boom, boom, clap, boom, 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 can't have that. And and if you look at it very closely as well, I'm I'm chewing my fucking teeth out. You know, I'm absolutely flying, man. And see it. speed. You watch that closely. Yeah. Shit. Did you get to um, talk to Adrian Edmondson and Rick Mail and 
Yeah, all those. Yeah, yeah. Rick Mail, they're two of my heroes. Mm, yeah. yeah, I love Bottom and, and Rick Mail in the Black Hat here and oh, series, very funny, man. Flash yeah. Art and very funny. In fact, Rick Mail's up on the wall in the studio. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. They had a, an act at the Comedy Store, right? Whose name escapes me. Uh, a double act. Yeah. I think it was called the Dangerous Brothers. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that rings a bell. Actually. It does ring a bell. Yeah, it's like a bottom precursor. Yeah, kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds like a sexual appliance. <laughs> or lube, as we yeah. call it in the trade. Yeah, I've come in here for two Rizzlers, some lube, <laughs> and a bottom bottom precursor. Yeah, Dangerous Brothers. Yeah. Oh, Richard Dangerous and Sir Adrian Dangerous. <laughs> so did you... The did Dangerous you, was that yeah, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. God, my memory's not as bad as it... So did you already know them from the comedy store, or uh, was that your first time meeting them uh, when you did the young ones? Yeah, yeah, but hanging around with them. Right. On the comedy store. Right. Like, I'm not really, you know... Uh, I mean, French and Saunders as well. All, all those oh, people, yeah. all those alternative Ben Elton, all those people... I mean, Ben Elton wrote most of the young ones as far well as yeah, well. and Blackadder. <laughs> yeah. So is this sort of late, still late seventies then? Do you know? I'm not sure when it is. Oh, oh yeah. Sure Which I think is. when the when all that came out, I'm thinking young ones would have been early eighties, would it? Nineteen eighty-ish. Yeah. Fuck knows. I don't know. Before our time, you see. Yeah. We just saw reruns. Was it not late seventies? It could have been. I'm guessing, really. Because that's definitely when I was in Deptford. Yeah. Or maybe eighty, or maybe eighty, seventy nine, eighty. Yeah. Sometime I'm like that. I don't know really. Chronology and me don't don't mix. It's all a bit well, of a blur. The substances. I was getting heavily into the oh, uh, first episode, nineteen eighty two, ninth of November. Nineteen eighty two, later yeah. than I thought. Then yes. I must have been more stoned than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that, kiddies. <laughs> oh, dear. I did say that. Yeah. Yeah, so they got 80. Yeah, that, that would be, yeah, that would be roundabout right, I guess. Because um, after after me and Harry fell out, we had a really bad fallout. Mm. And I still feel bad about it today, and so does he. You know, we just, we'd had enough of each other. We'd been, you know, on tour all the time and living together as well in the same house. Never apart, in other words. You know, yeah, we'd just got up. One night we just got on each other's nerves and not a bit too much. And and he was a big guy as well, man, you know. Mm. Ex-rugby league player. And we just knocked seven bells of fucking shit out of each other. Oh, bloody hell, it came to fisticuffs. Oh, oh, yeah, man. Oh, serious. Serious fucking, you know. No going back type of thing, you know. Oh. So, uh, you know, that was a shame. And I think that, that that upset me because I think it was from there on in that I really did start hitting it, you know. Mm. You know, started doing gigs, uh, really care, you know. Yeah, you lost your, you because you were a partnership, you sort of uh, left to yeah, your own I, devices I, then. We had a regular gig, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I think to a certain extent as well, we thought that we could really get somewhere, you know, even though we were, you know, we found out later that <coughs> big agencies like Wasted Talent and Harvey Goldsmith and all the rest of them, you know, 
how does how does on their books, but they have us on their books as the best support band in yeah. the UK, you know. So we were we used to headline some of the big gigs in London, you know, Dingwalls and stuff. Mm. I told you, yeah. There's a great little video of us doing Dingwalls. I'll yeah, show you. I'll, I'll show you a bit. Uh, I'll show you a bit later. Yeah, we could do some things to that as well. Of me playing washboards and whistles and stuff, mm. you know. In a red suit. Nice. Yeah, the organ grind is really good. The songs are good. And his monkey's not bad either. That's, that's <laughs> right. So that's kind of what it looked at. So I don't really know where to go from here apart from... Um, well, I think we've done an hour and a half. Yeah. Really? Yeah. We've covered, we've covered a decade. Yep. Roughly. My we God. Might as well call okay. it a night and adjourn next time, eh? All right, yeah. I'm, sure, yeah. I, I, I didn't realise it was an hour and a half. Oh, I'll tell you. Nice. No, gone, gone. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, right. So That's we're gonna fun. we'll adjourn for this week. Yep. Um, we'll come back soon, another couple of weeks, and and take off. Take, take off. Take <laughs> off like Ginger Baker's take Air Force. Off, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we shall take off like Ginger Baker's Air Force. So thanks for listening, eavesdroppers. Well, in the show notes, we'll put some links maybe to uh, the Young Ones clip and uh, oh, yeah, and to yeah. your Spotify stuff and. Yeah, People I can follow you um, on there. And... I, I think I've got a, a a page on 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 YouTube, a YouTube channel. Yeah, I think so. Or whatever it a... is, we'll put as whatever we can up there and um, yeah. And uh... well, if, if if people just put um, um, you know uh, Studio Two into into, I think it comes up on YouTube. Yeah, okay. Studio yeah. Two live at Dingwalls, I think eighty something. Nice one. Well, thanks yeah. for doing this again, Jim. It's been an absolute yeah, pleasure we'll see yet you, again. We'll see you again soon. We'll see you, Eve Droppers, next week. Next week, yeah. For who knows what. Yeah, we haven't decided. Something random. <laughs> All right, so take care. Shout a whistle. <laughs> Everybody out of the pool. <laughs> <laughs> see you. Wakanda forever. <laughs>